Oh, my testimony grew so much more and my love for all these people, right? You know, we talk about the spirit of Elijah turning our hearts to our ancestors. And I feel like my heart has become so much more connected with all sorts of pioneers, not just the pioneers we typically think of crossing the plains, but also pioneers in every land, which I've come to learn more about. So I think probably the biggest way my testimony has grown is in seeing God's love and his plan for people all around the world and that his hand is involved in the work all throughout the world. And even if maybe in North America, we haven't heard of every detail, he's there. He's working to build up his kingdom everywhere. Something that has particularly impressed me recently with those that I've spoken with for the Cultural Hall is when they feel like they are called to do something and then answering the Lord's call. It, it's been fascinating as, as I kind of look inward, right? A lot of time within my own thoughts, within my own home, and thinking, am I doing the actual thing that the Lord has called me to do? The gifts that he has given me, am I sharing them? Am I exercising them? Am I learning all that I need to learn? And so that's one of the things that I love about this conversation with Sierra Wilson. And as we talk about these standout saints, sure, some of these folks are sort of thrust into the situations that they're in. And then because they're magnificent leaders, they're able to share that light and example with the rest of us. But but some of these stories are unique because they just knew that the Lord had called them. And because of that, that is why they stand out in the history of our church. So I'm excited to share this episode with you of the Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. Excited because I think we're going to shine some light on some folks that maybe we haven't ever discussed uh, within, our, within the confines of our church, within the walls of our own chapels, or within our individual study in our own homes. Uh, I'm joined today by author and wonderful person, Sierra Wilson. Thanks for being here. Hi, I'm excited to be here. And I don't even know how wonderful you are, so let's get to know you a little bit. My <laughs> first question would be, do you know what you have even walked yourself into uh, with being on the cultural hall? I do not know. Okay, well, uh, I I can guarantee you hilarity, a little bit of spirituality. Um, certainly, we'll talk about all the things. That's one of the things I love the most about the cultural hall is, you know, we, we come from a, a faithful perspective, but there are sometimes things that may be hard or things that, um, you know, we sort of put up on the shelf and we go, hey, well, what about that? We take it down and open it up and then we put it back on the shelf and say, we'll get to that later, maybe. Where are you from, Sierra Wilson? So I always say I'm from everywhere and nowhere. Uh -huh. um, I'm a former military brat. So we moved all over the place, lived Oklahoma, Alaska, California, Japan, everywhere. But um, I claim Washington State now. That's where my parents settled in. And um, I actually live up in Canada right now in Alberta. Oh, so you are one of the smart ones that got out of the United States. That's <laughs> I'm just teasing. No, we did joke about that because we moved up here right around that time and it wasn't for political reasons, but we thought, oh, wow, look, everybody said they were going to move to Canada. We actually did it. Yeah. What brings a, a family to Alberta out of uh, the United States? So actually, this is kind of it pertains to the spiritual side, too. So uh, we always had wanted to live closer to family in Washington State. And at the time we were living in Texas, so it was about a four day drive and not that fun to fly either mm. with little kids. So we were looking to move closer and uh, my husband's a chemical engineer and his 
company had a facility in Washington and we thought, oh, great, we could try to transfer over there. And then that facility closed oh. and we thought, oh, no, this is a mess. So he kind of looked at the map on his company website and he thought, let me expand this map. And there was site up in Alberta and it was the closest site company had to where we live oh well hey who would have thought move to a different country and get closer to home so he called him up and uh, asked if there would be a position and they said no we never take <laughs> international applicants we just take Canadians and he was like okay well whatever and then literally the next day they called again and they said uh actually we have two positions to fill do you want to come up and he was like yeah so we got that and then after we moved up here they closed it Oh. again so it was like this little kind of magical window of time and you know we feel it was a blessing to be able to get up here and they paid for the move and it's been a really great place to live so far i have here questions about canada i want to get to uh, some of those here in a minute but when i think alberta i think of cardston alberta and are you close to uh, the sort of refuge of saints that are there in alberta or are you in a different part we're in a different part. We're in a town called Red Deer. It's in between Calgary and Edmonton. It's about 100,000 people. So we uh, compete with Lethbridge for third largest city in Alberta. It kind of goes back and forth. Hmm. It's a bunch of people yeah. that here in the United States, because we are so American focused, we're just like, oh, yeah, Canada. That's it. It's just north. Yeah. You know, it's it's. Which, it's a we thought, too. We didn't know anything. We were like, oh, that cold place out there. But then we got it. And we're like, wow, it's amazing. And it's not as cold as we thought either. I would be curious <laughs> to know what has surprised you about Canada coming from the States? I think what surprised me is uh, the fact that at least for me personally, we felt more culturally at home here than hmm. we did in Texas, maybe because we're from Washington. So it's kind of got that sort of Western culture, I guess similar to the Western U.S., but um, yeah, just how it, much it felt like home. I, we always joke that it's the least foreign, foreign country we could have moved to. Sure. So that was kind of a surprise. What about as far as the church goes? Are there things that are unique to the church in Canada that you didn't experience as you traveled around in the United States? What's cool up here, I feel like I've been to church all around the world, and that's the thing about it that really touches my heart is that it does always pretty much feel the same. There's that. And then we talked about that just now in general conference, right? Like the culture of the church and having gone to church in Norway, church in Russia, church in Japan, I really can attest to that. It, the spirit is the same and it still has that same feeling of home and mm -hmm. that church culture that kind of transcends other cultures. Um, but one thing that has been different is that um, there are a lot of people who come from pioneer stock up here as well and hmm. so it's kind of neat to see there's sort of the you know the early church roots that were in Canada as well and then a lot of people that have this long heritage in the gospel and have pretty much stayed in Alberta for generations and generations and there are these big families that are all still members of the church so it's kind of cool in that way to see sort of a some people joke that Alberta is like the Utah of Canada so <laughs> there's sort of that. And you probably hear names where like here in, in, you know, in the state of Utah, you would hear names like your Hinkleys or your McConkies and you kind of go, oh, but I would imagine that given that there are probably those names up there in Alberta that you're like, oh, yes, obviously a member of the church. Yeah, well, it was funny because we met a guy in our ward and his last name is Lowry and it's one of those big families. And when I first saw him, I did a double take because he looked just like a guy I went to seminary with. 
down in Georgia who was a Lowry whose family was from Canada and turns out they were like distant cousins. And I thought, <laughs> oh my goodness, because the family resemblance was so strong. It was crazy. Yeah. So tell me, uh, you, you mentioned kids. You, t- you packed the kids up and went to Canada. Tell me a little bit about mm-hmm. your family. Okay, so we have four kids, which uh, I feel like anywhere, maybe outside of Utah, four is like the final frontier before people start to really think maybe you've lost your marbles. So we're like right at that edge. And yeah, they're pretty close together too. So my oldest just turned six and then we've got a four-year-old, a two-year-old and my baby is four and a half months old. So oh. they're pretty little. Oh my gosh. That, is a, that yeah. is a lot of kids in a short amount of time. Thank yeah. you for finding time to be able to to sit and to talk to me about that. I I'm I mean it. That is this could be nap time. This could be, you know, just someone nap time. <laughs> just someone not touching you time. I know that a lot of moms are just like for an hour. I just want someone to not touch me or need me or have something that needs to be cleaned up or fed or all these things. So I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for giving me this time. <laughs> Thanks. How did you meet your husband? Uh, we met in Washington. So right after I graduated from high school, my family moved all the way from Georgia up to Washington. Very similar. And then, very similar. <laughs> and so we were up there and he got invited by a friend to um, my brother's birthday party dance because my brother loves dancing. Mm-hmm. And my mom actually picked him out and was like, please go dance with my daughter. <laughs> So she always takes credit. But um, I remember thinking, this guy is so weird because he wanted, we were the same age, but I had skipped a grade in school and he was right on the edge. So we were like two grades apart, but the same age. So anyway, I had already started or was about to go to school and uh, he was still in high school. So I was like, oh, I'm too cool for this guy. And uh, <laughs> and he wanted to talk to me about politics as we were dancing, which I was studying international relations at BYU. So it was interesting to me. But I also thought, this guy is so weird. Who wants yeah. to talk about international politics during a dance? Yeah. Uh, but then after his mission, we re-met again at a weird dance, which was like a YSA Halloween dance. And he had just gotten back from his mission. He served... Um, in Arizona, mostly on the Navajo reservation. Oh, cool. And uh, he had just like thrown together a weird costume, which was like Mickey Mouse ears and gloves and a big apron. So he was like Mickey Mouse chef, confirming my thoughts that he was weird. Uh And we ended up dancing again at this dance. And he was kind of doing this like awkward, like I just got up my mission style dancing cute smile and he was like teaching this little mission prep class and honestly it was just seeing like his good heart and his testimony that really kind of hooked me i love it i love it i'm not going to let you go without telling me what costume you were dressed at at that ysa dance because you can't throw shade (laughs) on your husband for his idea and not tell us what you were Thankfully, I have a sister to help me out. So I was like uh, Belle from Beauty and the Beast, Aww. and she had like curled my hair. So I think I was looking pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't resist it, that Chef Mickey. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Well, I, I want to know, uh, obviously coming up in the in the second and, and third block, we're going to talk about standout saints. We're going to highlight some of these saints that are in this uh, book that has been published with Deseret Book. But I want to know, before we take a break and get into some of those individuals, wh- why are you the one to write this book? Like, what made you either want to do it or or, or or what gives you the the gusto or the, the cre- like, listen to me, why why did you do this? Uh, the, so this book 
I would say in some way, it's not my first book, but it's the first book of my heart in a way, because when I originally wanted to start writing for children, it was for this reason, Mm. the things that are in this book. And it was because uh, I was still living in Utah and I was pregnant at the time with our first daughter. And I went to the BYU bookstore and I was just perusing the children's section. And um, we knew we were having a daughter and I really wasn't finding very much by way of like hero type stories that featured women, especially. And I thought, wow, I really want there to be, you know, and there are, there are wonderful women in the scriptures, but we tend to hear probably the same handful of stories again and again, which are great, but I wanted there to be more. And I also wanted something closer to our time. And so that was something that I'd kind of had on my heart and mind for years. And I had uh, written a story. I had kind of pitched some different ideas to publishers and things like that related to wanting to do these types of projects, uh, bringing out more modern faithful heroes for kids. And I had been shopping it around and not having much success. And then I sent a book I had written about Emma Smith and it was a picture book. Um, And I did a dessert book. And my idea was that this could be the first book in a series, Um, kind of similar to some other books that are out there in the general market. Um, Oh, I can't even think of the name right now. There's like the American Girl series, right? Where like, I mean, I know it's not exactly the same thing, but it's essentially you, it highlights an individual and you sort of learn about it. And then the next series they did it. My favorite one growing up was they did one about each of the presidents of the United States of America children's level you'd find out he came from this Mm -hmm. background that kind of thing yeah or i'd see all these ones with like jim henson and albert einstein and Mm -hmm. just all these various people right and i thought oh we need i want that within our faith um and when i pitched this book it took a while and then they got back to me and they said you know what if we did this but all at once and i was like yeah let's do it i'm not gonna (laughs) say no because it's like 40 books in one okay let's do this And I was really excited because I'd get even more of these stories out there all in one go. Mm -hmm. Um, So they said, let's do this. And so I spent months and months and months and months going down the research hole and all kinds of things happened in that adventure, trying to find all sorts of things. Um, And the book came out. But as far as why me, I think maybe one reason why me is that I myself have lived all around the world. And I think that... I really have a passion for celebrating other cultures. Before I was a teacher before having children, but before that, I had studied international relations and done study abroad, and I've lived in a lot of different countries, like I said. And I really wanted to find heroes that had not been talked about as much and to make sure that when a child opened this book, they would see somebody that looked like them or somebody that they could personally connect with because... Yeah. Um, In the children's book community right now, there's a big movement to try and bring out a wider diversity of books because the vast majority of children's picture books that have been published to date feature um, white children, which, you know, that's fine. But there are also other children that aren't really being represented in the books that they see. So they go to the store, they don't see any kids that look like them being featured as a hero, for example, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I really wanted that. And so for me, that was a big focus when I put together the final list to get approved was to make sure that number one, there were plenty of women represented. So the book has half women, half men, and that I was able to include as many different cultural and ethnic backgrounds as I could, and also a variety of socioeconomic status situations in the book too. 
I love it. And I love that it's a children's book, which lets me know that as I get my copy, I'm going to not only enjoy it, I'm also going to understand it, which is great. Uh, and then uh, as we sort of um, talk about it, I hope that we can go sort of back and forth. We'll start ladies first, obviously. We'll go uh, a woman that's featured in the book and a man that's featured in the book, and we'll get through a few of them. We'll just pick highlights. We don't want to make it so that people don't go out to Deseret Book. And by the way, you can find a link in the show notes for this episode where you can pick up a copy of the book. But I do want to give people an idea, a little bit of a taste of what it is. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll start highlighting some of those standout saints. We'll be back and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Hey, this is Dan the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. It's our ultra-mega back-to-school blowout sale. We have hundreds of thousands of dollars of ultra-high-quality laptops and desktops on sale for up to 50% off the original prices. We've got demos, scratch and dents, trade-ins, and funny colored computers. It's crazy! Remember, you get a lifetime service guarantee on any PC Laptops brand computer. That means if you mess up your windows or you get a virus or spyware, it's covered forever. Got an old yucky computer? No problem. We'll take it in on trade and we'll transfer all your pictures, music, and all your stuff to your PC Laptops computer for free. When you get your computer from PC Laptops, we'll make sure you're taken care of for a lifetime. To make it impossible to resist, we're doing 12 months special financing on any PC Laptops desktop or laptop computer. Have I lost my mind? Get into any one of our locations right now or check us out at PCLaptops.com. PC Laptops, where computers start at $7.99. PC Laptops, we love you. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, we'll start to highlight some of these standout saints, but I have to let you guys know you are missing out if you are not a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. Well, first of all, you get to see the videos of each of the episodes when we record video. And in this particular episode, (laughs) when Sierra was talking about the dance that her husband did, if you are not a Patreon saint, you will not see her reenact the dance that her husband did as they met. It's worth the admission alone. Remember, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall and you can pledge three, five or ten dollars a month. We would love to have you there. Uh, you can also go to theculturalhall.com and click on the link that says Patreon. And remember that if you are a Patreon saint, that you, that's right, you get to be a part of the secret but not sacred Facebook group with all the other Patreon saints. We'd love to have you there. Sierra, let's start. I want to hear about some of these standout saints. Okay, awesome. So first, let me just, and I guess this could go for whoever is looking at the video, but I'm going to just read out the contents because I want everybody to hear who's in this book. And I wish, uh, let me interrupt you real quick. I wish that you guys could see this, those that aren't Patreon saints, because like a school teacher, she has flipped the book so that I can see and she's ready like I'm on the reading rug with my snack for the afternoon. She is about to read me the the contents of this. I love it. Go ahead. So the way that the book is organized, um, it goes chronologically and also alternates between women and men. Cool. So we go from the early pioneer restoration era up closer to the modern time. So we've got Lucy Mack Smith, Edward Partridge, Patty Bartlett Sessions, Hiram Smith, Mary Fielding Smith, Brigham Young, Eliza R. Snow, Heber C. Kimball, Emma Hale Smith, Joseph Smith Jr., Desideria Quintanar de Yanez, Orson Hyde, Jane Manning James, Elijah Abel, Emmeline B. Wells, Jonathana Napella, Mary Vomley, William Clayton, Emily Hill Woodmansey, Giuseppe Toronto, Ellis Reynoldship, Green Flake, Mary Metawanga, Carl G. Mazur, Elizabeth Clarge McHugh, 
Meliton Gonzalez Trejo, Sune Ishida Nachie, James E. Talmadge, Martha Hughes Cannon, Henry Eyring, Kon Shoshonit Zandel, Kim Hojik, Minerva Teichert, Huei, Kasimira Victoria Twilinski Wersher, and Helmuth Hubner. And then we've got Marjorie Pei Hinkley, Anthony Obina, Julia Mavimbella, Alvesio Martins. And at the back, there's a list of some bonus saints where there's just a little bit of information too. I love that. As you were talking, I was like, yep, yep, nope, no idea, have no idea, yes, yes, just as you went as you went through. That's exciting. Yeah, and I wanted it to be that way too, where there were some that were familiar. And, you know, even if they are familiar, I think you'll learn something new. I definitely did as I researched, even with Joseph Smith, I thought, oh, of course, I've heard all the Joseph Smith stories. I know everything. I took a Joseph Smith class at BYU. I'm sure I'm going to know all these stories. And I still found more as I researched. So, yeah, it's great because there are old heroes to learn more about and new ones to find and love. Let's follow a pattern like uh, like the book is sort of laid out. Obviously, we're not going to get to all of those saints that were mentioned. Um, but it is curious. I mean, there are a lot of of names that I have absolutely no idea. But maybe we start sort of back in the early times. We won't pick up everyone, but but uh, but tell me about some of these folks, and then we work our way towards modernish day. Okay. Um, well, one. Let's see. Wow, it's so hard to even choose. I think start at the very beginning. So with Lucy Mack Smith, I came to love her so much as I researched and I read her book, which I would definitely recommend, um, which is the biography she wrote of Joseph Smith. So it's a history of the prophet Joseph Smith by his mother. And in that, you really come to see that this woman had spunk. She was not going to just sit there in the corner. She was always willing to boldly testify. And um, in this, one of the stories I chose, um, was one that really shows that spunk, right? So she herself, this little old lady, was helping to bring saints from the East Coast further in. And so they were going to have to cross uh, up by, oh my goodness, I'm so bad with geography. But anyway, they were going to have to go up through the Great Lakes. Okay, so heading west through the Great Lakes. And as they're going along, it was frozen, it was all ice locked, and they weren't going to be able to continue on. And all the saints kind of started complaining and grumbling. And in this little town where they were, they were some people were worried that if people found out they were members of the church, they might be persecuted. And so some people were saying, you know, don't let anyone know who we are. Keep it a secret. Don't mm-hmm. say who we are. And mm-hmm. she said, we're not going to be ashamed of who we are. And not only that, we need to show some faith. Gave this great speech, basically rallying their faith and saying, we can't just sit here. We have a God that we trust in. And she encouraged them all to pray and to ask that the ice would be broken up so that they could continue on their way. And they followed her lead. And sure enough, the ice did part just and really made me think of Moses, right? Like the Red Sea parting. But in this case, we have the ice parting for this small faithful woman. And they were able to continue on their way. And it just even talking about it now gives me chills because she was such a leader of faith again and again, even to the end of her life. She was one to stand and boldly testify um, before the saints left to go west. She was so old at that point that she didn't go on. But again, she bore strong testimony in front of all the uh, people that she was near of her faith. And uh, yeah, she to me is definitely a hero. Absolutely. So that's one of the early ones. 
That's cool. All right. But I but I knew Lucy Mack Smith. I knew of yeah. her name. I knew who she was. So now we're going to pivot to a gentleman. Is this a gentleman I'm going to know? Sure. Okay. Well, let's see. Who should we pick? Uh, you know what? Let's pick one. I don't know if you would have heard of him or not. Do you want to go for somebody you heard of or not? Uh, listen, you're, you're leading. I'm, I'm just asking the questions. I'm, okay. I'm the boss. All right. I'm going to choose uh, Jonathana Napella because to me, not only was it a cool story, but also for those that like romance, his story has a beautiful romance mingled with a beautiful story of faith. So Jonathana uh, is a Hawaiian saint and he... Uh, was royalty. He was uh, descended from the line of chiefs and he was a judge. So he was somebody high up in the social status, right? But then he was drawn to the gospel and he actually had a vision that helped prepare him to want to receive the missionaries. And at this time, the missionaries were new in Hawaii and they were really struggling to make any headway, right? And uh, so anyway, George Q. Cannon, who you may have heard of, he was the missionary there at the time, and they were able to connect and develop a relationship. John and Tana joined the church, and then he was able to really help the church start to get a foothold and progress. So he started kind of the first pseudo MTC and started to help the missionaries learn Hawaiian, and he actually had that in his own home. He and his wife were able to make room for the missionaries to live there, to learn Hawaiian, so that they could actually connect with the people and because he was so connected with helping the church and had um, accepted the gospel, he actually lost his position as a judge. So he sacrificed a lot in terms of his own prestige and his career in order to help the gospel grow in Hawaii. Um, and so he went on and was instrumental in helping build up the, the church there. And then later, um, his wife came down with leprosy. Mm. And at this time, uh, the island of Molokai was a leper colony for lepers in Hawaii. And so she was going to have to go live in this leper colony. And even though he wasn't sick, he chose to go with her and to take care of her. So he went to live in the leper colony as well. And while he was there, he continued to share the gospel. And he helped with the little branch of saints that was here on the leper colony and uh, he ended up eventually getting leprosy himself. And so he also died of leprosy. But to me, it just touched my heart that, you know, he sacrificed so much for his family and also for the church throughout his entire life. He was willing to sacrifice for what he loved and what he believed in. And to be able to be with his sweetheart, no matter, although yeah. he, w he would have had to know, you know, likely at that time that he would probably right. ca ca catch it. I don't know. You were on the island. So yeah. yeah, it was, right? It's so contagious that that's why they went to this colony, because he would have pretty much known, okay, if I follow her soon enough, I'm going to get this as well. So to me, true love. That was a great thing. <laughs> So let me ask you, uh, obviously, with a story of like Lucy Mack Smith, we, we know where you would have happened upon that story. How did you happen upon uh, 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 this story? Oh, goodness. I'd have to look back through my research notes because for each person, I read all sorts of books and found articles. And I felt a huge debt of gratitude to the historians that have gone before. I actually used to teach history when I was teaching high school. So I have some experience doing historical research. but. Um, yeah, all over the place. Thankfully, the church actually has a lot of excellent resources on the church history website. And so I was able to find records there. Sometimes I found them through family search, like genealogical records. 
um, all over the place. The BYU Studies Journal has a lot of good resources that I was able to find. So kind of was all over the place, different books that have been published on church history. Sometimes I could find little tidbits. And so it was kind of like, in some instances, gathering crumbs from here and there. Uh, but for some of the saints that were lesser known, it really was a challenge. I had to, in some cases, dig up things that had never been done up. For example, with uh, Uei from Taiwan, there was so little information. There was like a grainy photograph and a few things. And so I actually got in contact with professors at BYU in the Asian department, and they were able to help translate some documents into English for me so that I could actually get the information I needed about him because well, those weren't available yet. I know we just, so, yeah, I, I know, over. I know that we just uh, <laughs> talked about a gentleman, uh, but because you queued up another gentleman, tell me who that standout saint is and, and what you were able to discover because of that. Yeah. So, and, you know, to be totally honest, I do not speak Chinese and I'd probably say his name horribly because Chinese, Mandarin Chinese is a tonal language, right? So uh -huh. if I were to properly do it, I'd be saying that. But yes, so Huei is the best I can do with my poor pronunciation. He was an early saint in Taiwan. And a cool thing for him is that he, you can say, as I researched, it really became clear to me how much God loves his children all around the world and has prepared a path and a plan for the gospel to spread throughout the earth. Because as I researched again and again and again, I saw that miracles have occurred all around the world. Amazing preparation has occurred all around the world in order to get people where they needed to be, right? And so um, in this case, this was one of those situations. So uh, Huei was uh, just a fairly humble guy, but he had been in the military and so he had learned English. And at the time when missionaries came, there was no Chinese translation of the Book of Mormon. And so just as in Hawaii, it was really difficult for them to make headway because they weren't able to use the scriptures, right? And we know that that's one of the real tools of bringing the spirit. And so uh, the missionaries were trying to figure out what to do and praying for help. And they were led down a series of tiny little side streets and found this little out-of-the-way apartment. And there was Huei. And they found him, and he was already so prepared to receive the gospel. And he quickly received it. And then he was able to go on and help with the translation of the Book of Mormon into Chinese. So he is the one that was able to do that work. And really quickly, too. Pretty amazing. Yeah. It's a tremendous language, I, from what I understand, not only to speak, but also to be able to translate to and from. So uh, amazing pioneer work uh, by this gentleman. Yeah, and you can see, you know, he was prepared. He had the language skills. He had a heart that was soft. And yeah, it was great to learn about him. I bet it would. that's sort of probably a, a through line through a lot of these different stories is in hindsight, because we're speaking from today's eyes and you've gone back and done the research. Like you can probably map out in most of these people's lives as you've studied them in preparation for this book to be like, oh, yeah, they probably didn't know that being moved from this point to this point was preparing them for this future point, which then they were so key and instrumental in whatever that work was. I, I bet oh, that, totally. I bet that's really faith affirming. It definitely is, yes, being able to kind of see the path of preparation and them gathering the skills and the experience and the empathy that led them to be who they were. 
I want to make sure that we uh, get uh, an opportunity to queue up a couple more women before we take a break. So take us where you will. Okay, let's take a look. Let's see. I think I'm going to have to do... So I shouldn't pick favorites, but... We all, we all have them. We all have favorites. I don't. I don't know why people are yeah. like. I can't pick favorites. We should have favorites. Okay. Well, she's one of my favorites. She really touched my heart. So if you're looking at the video now, you get to see these beautiful <laughs> illustrations. So anyway, here we've got Ellis Reynolds Ship, and I think she touched my heart so much because the story that I focused on sharing with her was from when she was a young mother trying to balance out work and motherhood. And so I definitely related and I connected with her a lot. But as you said, kind of seeing that preparation, right, in someone's life. So she crossed the plains when she was just five years old to Utah. And uh, her mother died when she was young. And so she kind of took on the burden of being a caretaker in her family. And she went through trials at a young age. And I think that already gave her a tender heart for what was to come in her life and kind of had this caretaker spirit put into her. So anyway, she went along and she always had a desire to learn. And so I could relate to this because I was a big bookworm as a kid and I always wanted to read and read and read. And she made a special little pocket in her apron to carry around the dictionary so that she could just like read the dictionary and learn, right? (laughs) And then, I know. And then even when she was married and was a young mom and all these things, she chose to wake up early at four in the morning and study various subjects for a few hours before everyone else got up. And I thought, whoo, this is a motivated woman. She Mm -hmm. wanted to learn, she wanted knowledge, and she was going to do it. So that really impressed me because I, I can't say that I wake up at four in the morning, but I definitely can relate to trying to find little cracks of time in order to pursue knowledge and to continue developing my talents while also being able to be a mother. And so I was like, yes, I wish I also could wake up at 4 a.m. and study (laughs) for three hours. I love my sleep a little too much, but (laughs) uh, that impressed me. And then she went along, and at this time in Utah, uh, Brigham Young had put out a call for more women to be trained as doctors. They needed more women physicians. Hmm. And so... um, Do you know why? Why why did Brigham Young... Why did there need to be more women physicians? I'm I'm all for it. So the question isn't, you know, an, anti an interesting idea. thing to research. You know, Brigham Young was very uh, into people developing their knowledge and their education. He was a big proponent of education. Why specifically women? I'm guessing maybe for obstetrics. And I'm not sure, actually, with that. That would be interesting to research. But yes, he, in general, was pushing for the saints to develop skills and to develop education. So I'm not sure why in specifics he was going for women, but yes, this was happening. So she was approached and given this opportunity essentially, and she was a young mother. And so this was going to be a challenge because the medical schools were in the East and here she was in Utah. So that would mean leaving her family, going to the East coast to study. And uh, this was a time when there was polygamy, right? So there were other women in the home that could care for her children, which was actually kind of an amazing thing to learn about too, the way that the wives would work together and support each other, because it seemed to be fairly common that they would help. Like, for example, one would take care of all the children for a while while the other went to school and then they would switch and things like that. So they really supported each other um, in developing other talents and other capabilities. But anyway, so 
she decided she prayed and she felt that this is what she needed to do and followed the spirit. And so she went and uh, there wasn't much money for her to do this. So she had to live like super, super cheaply, just eating like the bare minimum, like bread and milk type diet. Like the, and- the ramen of the times. Yeah, Yeah. like living on the Roman of the time and doing all kinds of odd jobs to make it through, including being the night guard of the cadavers at the school. So, yeah, you know, and you can see she all her life had had this drive to learn and she was motivated and she knew how to work hard. And she definitely had to put this into effect while she was there at medical school, too. So she made it through. She did that. And she was one of the first female doctors in Utah. And she came back and she continued to find that balance between motherhood, which she always said was her number one priority, and also serving the community. And so she had her kids help her in her medical clinic so that she could still be with them and also continue her medical practice. And then she went on and educated other doctors, other nurses, and shared her knowledge and had a practice for decades. So yeah, she's a pioneer in many senses of the word. And it's Ellis Reynolds, is that right? Yep, Ellis Reynolds ship. Hmm. That's an individual that I, I, you know, what I love so much and why I was so eager to be able to, to be able to speak to you about it is, you know, sort of as we queued it up at the beginning, right? There are a lot of people that I'm like, yes, of course, Edward Partridge, sure, Lucy Mac Smith, you bet, Marjorie Hinckley, right? Okay, those are names that I know, but maybe because I haven't taken the opportunity or maybe because these names just haven't been shared with other people. There are a lot of great examples. You call them standouts, and I'll affirm you in that. These standout saints who really can set an example for all people everywhere in whatever challenge they may be facing. I, I like that, the inspirational part of of giving us examples that, that I think maybe we can relate a little bit closer to because... Not only are they people like we're people, they're also saints like we're saints. And we can say we have this common tie that that binds us to them. And also they're amazing individuals. For sure. Yeah. Uh, let's take it. Let's take a break. And uh, and when we come back, I'll have you hit up. Maybe I'm going to put you on the spot because we have limited amount of time. You've got one more gentleman and one more lady that you can that you can tell us a little bit about. And we'll okay. ask you the three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. You don't know what those are. Everybody else does. We'll get to those and everything else coming up in the third block of the cultural hall. <laughs> Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, you want to know more about Sierra Wilson? You have a Sierra Wilson in your life that you think that we should interview as part of the Cultural Hall? Well, you can send us an email now and it works. Our email finally works. It's contact at theculturalhall.com. We're putting money behind it, so we actually receive the messages that come in. It's a long story, Sierra. I don't want to tell you all about it, but contact at theculturalhall.com is, in fact, the email address for any correspondence that you would like to have with us. 
if you want to uh, suggest yourself as a guest or you've read a book recently, or you heard a talk, or whatever the thing is, uh, we would love your guest suggestions and any sort of feedback you have about the episodes that we produce. i uh, love to hear that from you. It's contact at theculturalhall.com. And I'll do even one better. If you would like to sponsor our email inbox, we'll do that too. You can send us an email about it so you can see how great it works. Contact at theculturalhall.com. All right, Sierra. I gave you the opportunity to pause and think, and now you have one more chance to pick a male favorite and a female favorite. I'll let you go in whatever order as we do these, uh, but please tell me about these standout saints. Okay, so you mentioned how uh, one of the cool things about the book is that not all of these people are well-known and not all of them would be considered famous, right? Some of them are, some of them are like world-renowned scientists or politicians or whatever, but in other cases, they're fairly humble individuals from a worldly perspective. So I want to talk about one of those. And again, if you're watching, you can see this picture here. So we have here uh, Tsune Ishida Nachie. And uh, she is an amazing saint, in my opinion, because of her humble, consistent example. So who she is, is uh, a woman that joined the church early in Japan. And she actually worked at the mission home. So they were trying to find somebody who could come and be like the basically maid of the mission home slash chef. And she had a lot of training in cooking. And so she could have been cooking for like a much more prestigious set of people, but mm -hmm. she chose to take this job. And so she was their housekeeper and she fed them and uh, all the missionaries came to love her and kind of look upon her as a second mother. She loved to like spoil them and make their favorite foods and all these things. But quietly, as she was there, she also was developing more and more of a testimony of the gospel. And she wanted to be baptized. And they thought, well, are you really ready? And uh, they wanted her to wait. She said, no, I already am ready. I know. And so she was able to be baptized. And then she started to invite people to come stay with her one by one, like family members or friends, and she was helping others to learn about the gospel. So she was a great member missionary. She was always bringing people in, helping them to learn as well. And then um, eventually when she was older, the missionaries that she had loved and that she had served pitched together to raise money for her to be able to go to Hawaii, which was what she wanted to do, so that she could go there and be able to do temple work. And so she was able to go to Hawaii, but she didn't stop her missionary work. And I just love this image. So try to imagine this in your mind, this little old Japanese woman with a little basket on her arm of like church materials to go out and share. So this is what she would do. She would get her little basket with scriptures and pamphlets and whatnot and continue to go out and share the gospel. And she was able to help build up the church of um, in Hawaii of Japanese immigrants, because there are quite a lot of Japanese immigrants that had come to Japan. And so she continued to share the gospel and helped to build up the church among that group. What year is this? Okay, so she was born in 1856, hmm. and she died in 1938. And by the time she was working for the missionary, she was already middle-aged, so we would be starting around like, I don't know, right around 1900, kind of in that zone. Right, turn of the century. And, and mm -hmm. you said that you lived some time in Japan and being yeah. a member of the church, it, was she someone that was spoken of with great reverence in Japan or how did you find her? You know, I'm not sure if she would have been because I was a kid when we were there and we lived on an army base. Mm. So we did 
you know, travel around Japan and whatnot. But in terms of my personal congregation, I was in, it was with other military personnel. And so I didn't have as much connection with actual Japanese saints when I lived there. Hmm. Yeah, but that would be interesting to know. So if anybody knows, you can tell me. You can reach out to me at sierrawilsonauthor.com. Hey. There it is. There it is. And there will be a <laughs> link. There will be a link to Sierra and also, like I say, the book in the show notes for this episode. So uh, this is it. This is the last one, our last standout saint that we are going to highlight. All the rest, people will have to pick up the book and read for themselves. Who are we talking about, Sierra? Okay, so here's our last one. I figure since it's last, we might as well do the last person in the book. It's just fitting. So here we go. You can see the image here. Mm -hmm. And this is Alvesio Martin. And if you're not able to see, uh, he is a Brazilian saint with Black African ancestry. He's from Brazil, and he went on to become the first general authority with uh, Black African ancestry. But originally, uh, he kind of had a hard upbringing, whatnot. He was looking for truth. He wanted to find God when he was a young family man. And at one point, he was stuck in a big traffic jam. And he just, in a way, you could say, couldn't take it anymore. So he decided to take this traffic jam time to have a prayer and speak to God and say, you know, I want to find you. Where are you? How can I do? And then the missionary showed up. And so soon the missionaries came to his able to receive the gospel. And he went on to uh, help with the church in Brazil. And the cool thing about him and about several of the other saints in this book is that at the time he joined the church, it was still the time when those of Black African ancestry were not able to receive the priesthood. And to me, you know, what a great amount of faith to be able to say, I know that at this moment, I can't receive all these privileges, but to still be able to form a testimony and to understand who God was and to recognize the loving Heavenly Father and press forward with faith, even though they weren't able to have everything they would have wished for during their lifetime. And I think many saints still experience that today. Maybe they are not able to have the children that they wish they could have. Maybe they're not able to find an eternal companion during this life. So I think even if we're not in this exact situation, we can still relate in different ways. So he still chose to join the church and he developed his own testimony in spite of the priesthood ban that was still in effect. Um, and then he actually was helping with the development of the Sao Paulo temple in Brazil. And this was around the time when the priesthood ban finally came. And uh, he and his wife believed that their son would be able to serve a mission. Hmm. And they had had a spiritual confirmation <clears throat> that this would happen, even though that would seem impossible because he would need the priesthood to serve a mission and he was black. And yet they pressed forward. They helped with the temple that they wouldn't be able to use at that time, their own personal selves. They pressed on. And then, yes, the ban was lifted and the priesthood was open and available to any worthy man within the church, regardless of race. And so, as we said, he was able to eventually be called as a general authority. His son was able to serve the mission and they were able to continue helping with the temple there in Brazil. When was, when was that? When was he called? Yeah, let's see when he was called. Looking in my book. I do know the ban was lifted in 1978. So I'm, I'm thinking it was probably in the 80s, maybe the 90s. He passed away in 2005. So somewhere between... 
2000 probably. So as you you look at the lives of all of these saints, certainly the ones that we've highlighted and the ones that are just high lit, I guess would be the way I would phrase that within the book, the bonus saints as well. A, A question that I would have for you is what have you then gained from this experience? Oh, my testimony grew so much more and my love for all these people, right? You know, we talk about the spirit of Elijah turning our hearts to our ancestors. And I feel like my heart has become so much more connected with all sorts of pioneers, not just the pioneers we typically think of crossing the plains, but also pioneers in every land, which I've come to learn more about. So I think probably the biggest way my testimony has grown is in seeing God's love and his plan for people all around the world and that his hand is involved in the work all throughout the world. And even if maybe in North America, we haven't heard of every detail, he's there. He's working to build up his kingdom everywhere. Uh, It's time for the three questions that you don't know are coming, but here they are. The first question, Sierra, is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? Okay, well, as everyone, I have calling to be a ministering sister, but then in addition to that, I am a primary teacher for the CTR4 kids, but I miss them. I haven't seen them, obviously, for a while. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? (laughs) I have been so lucky to have my dream calling twice, which is to be the primary chorister because I love working with kids. I love to sing. I love to be a goofball. And all those things combine when you are the primary chorister. Has Chef Mickey made an appearance during primary? <laughs> you know, he hasn't, but Chef Kristan makes an appearance in our house all the time because he loves to cook and he loves inventing new recipes. How funny. So there is some element of chef still in my life. Does he put on the Mickey Mouse ears and the big oversized gloves to cook? <laughs> He doesn't, but sometimes he wears his fancy prize-winning apron. So I don't know if we have time. Do you have time for a really quick story? Yeah, please. Okay. So here's a cool story. This is my own personal standout saint, my husband. So he was called uh, to the Arizona Phoenix mission, and he got put out into the farthest area of the mission, which was Window Rock on the Navajo Reservation. And he ended up serving in one area for 16 months. So he was pretty much there the whole time. And uh, we've gone back to visit. He's got a lot of people that he still loves there. So hi, if anybody's listening. But anyway, uh, during this, so he's a white guy and most people on the Navajo reservation are not. So he kind of stood out like a sore thumb because he's blonde and he's tall and he definitely looked different going around in his suit. Um, But they have a big uh, Navajo Nation fair. And one of the things in this fair was a fry bread competition. Who Mm. could make the best fry bread, which is like... Um, I don't know if it's kind of almost like a really, really puffy tortilla. That's not the best description, but essentially a super, super fat kind of fried, maybe not super healthy, but really tasty tortilla. It, it's like, so if, anyway, it's like if a, uh, it's like if a scone and a tortilla had a baby kind of, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, totally. Yeah. That's a good way to try it. So anyway, um, his companion really wanted to enter the competition and roped him in. He was like, okay, sure, I'll do it. And it turned out that this year, it wasn't just to make the best fry bread, it was to make the healthiest fry bread. And so 
Chris was adding in all kinds of extra ingredients and all this stuff. And they had to like light their own fire and sorry to throw his companion under the bus, but apparently his companion could not get his own fire lit <laughs> too bad. But Some, Chris he, used his boy scout. Although <laughs> let's point out though, the gospel principle that sometimes you can't light your own fire, but need to borrow the light of someone else until you Very can light true. your own fire. There, we brought it back. It's perfectly fine. We've there removed, we go, we've removed we him go. from under the bus. Yes. So anyway, it's all right. But in the end, Chris won this competition and he got this little apron that's cool and says that he won and says like Navajo Nation on it and all this stuff. And it was a big deal that a white guy won the Navajo fry bread making competition because fry bread is like a big deal on the Navajo Nation and the news spread. (laughs) So he was like kind of a little bit of a celebrity but it ended up opening doors and people wanted to talk to him. And so he was able to actually teach quite a lot of people on his mission. And this crazy little competition was one of the things that helped open doors. So <laughs> God works in mysterious ways, even yeah. through fry bread. Yeah, God God works in delicious ways, it sounds like. Well, yeah, that yeah. too. <laughs> All right, the last question. We ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, and I would ask you to interpret this as ever you would like. Um, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Hmm. My favorite part of my faith is for sure the atonement of Jesus Christ, because that's the core. And without that, there is no faith, really. I mean, that's that's the center. And for me, that's the part that I connect with the most, too, I guess. Um, I was a little bit of a rebellious teen believe it or not. Mm. And uh, I really have a testimony of using the atonement in my own life and seeing in my life, in the lives of others that I love and so many people, including the saints that I studied, the way that the atonement of Jesus Christ can 100% change a person, cleanse a person, and make that person into much more than they could have ever imagined. I love it. I love it. The book is called Standout Saints. We've been visiting with Sierra Wilson. Sierra, I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen to it this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen to it next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat. It's sure to be neat. 